You can definitely be seated. So we're, we're finishing up with this series, One Question, One Prof. And that's great. And I'm really glad that I got three questions to squeeze into 18 minutes or less. Three questions. What are goodness, truth, and beauty? And I think that's unfair. But not because I've got to do three things in one, but because this is a setup. I wonder why me? Why would I get this one? Now, I'm assuming that these things are submitted by some really devious folks amongst the student body. For instance, I suspect there might be a young Socrates amongst us who's trying to expose the fraudulent nature of the professors here, claiming to be experts when in fact they know nothing. Or perhaps there's a cynical pilot, a young Pontius pilot who's asking, what is goodness, truth, and beauty, buddy? So I'm doomed here. This is no good. I, uh, this is no homily. This is no philosophical solution to uh, all the world's problems. But I think that if we understand goodness, truth, and beauty, we may well be on the path, or we might have a map if we think of these things clearly, for everything that we do as a Christian liberal arts institution. Goodness, truth, and beauty, and the interrelationship between these things has everything to do with what we do here as a liberal arts institution. But it also has to do with the major goals of Christian thought and life. So since we do both of these things, we at least better understand it. So I won't back down quite yet. But I know that if you look, you know, you folks who joined me and others in the philosophy core, we studied Euthyphro, the Euthyphro dialogue. Even if I knew what on earth these transcendentals were, these things, goodness, truth, and beauty, could I even teach them? Could I even put it into words that wouldn't come out as either philosophically foolish, which is what terrifies me, or heretical, which terrifies me even more. So if you misunderstand me, either uh, you didn't get what I meant, because I don't mean to be a heretic, or I've got to go back and do some work, so feel free to keep thinking about this. I think, as a community, these are the three things that we ought to constantly have before us as we think through the relationships between all of the various aspects of study within our community. Goodness, truth, and beauty, sometimes called the transcendentals, or what Aristotle would call the hyperbinine. They transcend for Aristotle all the other categories of being. But it's not very consistent in the history of philosophy. What, what are these things? How do they come up? And what are the three or four things that we would consider in this category? But we do get philosophers from time to time, like Plotinus, who talk about beauty, goodness, and the virtues. And I like this. But for simplicity's sake, when we think about philosophy, Let's think about the good, the true, and the beautiful as the three great quests of philosophy. The good relates to the study of ethics. The true, epistemology and logic. And the beautiful, aesthetics. But in the Christian tradition, since really the beginning and up until our day, Christian theologians and thinkers have talked about these things, the great Christian transcendentals, precisely as the good, the true, and the beautiful. So that's what we're here for. Now, if I want to take a, a page out of the playbook of uh, my colleague Joel Esch, the, there is a way for me to get around any potential heresy. The simple answer, both philosophically and certainly theologically, is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. But I think I've got a few more moments to try to fill after that. And it is true, however, 
that these things for Christians converge precisely in God. Goodness, truth, and beauty converges in Jesus. He is the truth. He is goodness. He is beauty. But what does that mean, really? Well, for that, we need to turn to John chapter 14. Check that out and and linger with it and maybe have it open if I start to bore you. Come up with your own great ideas. But it is here, and you really understand this thing only if we read, really, the first 21 verses. So let me do that. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if you go... And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So I leave you not as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you, whoever has my commandments and keeps them. He it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. We could go a long way into digging into this text, this big, beefy piece of incredibly beautiful text. But I think that it is here, as we meditate on this, that we will find a solution to some of the greatest crises of our day, intellectually and theologically. These three things, goodness, truth, and beauty, cannot be understood apart from each other. They're mutually related. To have a good piece of art also speaks truth. To live in goodness is to live truly, and it is beautiful to behold. You see, these things are very interconnected, but more importantly, we live in this fragmented age uh, that has been called postmodern, and we have lost some things. We are in a great crisis, and this is why I care about this place, because we 
are part of the solution to that crisis. The crisis is a crisis of knowing. We don't know what's true anymore in philosophy and life. We don't know how to behave. We don't understand ethics. And we sure as heck, whether it's postmodern or analytic philosophy, we don't really understand what it is for something to be beautiful. We don't understand art. But here it is. Here is the Christian contribution to the great questions of all the philosophers who have been searching for truth, goodness, and beauty. And the answer is it's right here. It's in Jesus. But what do we make of it? How can we precisely see what Jesus is doing? I suggest that the basic formula here is that beauty brings us to the truth. And truth leads to goodness. And goodness draws the world into God's beauty. So it begins again. It's the cycle. Truth to goodness. I'm sorry, um, beauty to truth. Truth to goodness. And goodness back to beauty. And on and on. More precisely, my proposal is this. That beauty is what we experience when we glimpse the world from the perspective of the beatific vision. There's an etymological connection here. Beatific vision and beauty, blessedness. I'm not saying that we go and take the fire hose of God's glory and get destroyed by this uh, thing that we cannot go and peer into right now, the beatific vision. But I do suggest that we can get a glimpse of the beatific vision, and we are promised that we get a glimpse of this beatific vision in Christ. That's why I kept emphasizing the eyes. You have seen. You have had a vision. Don't go anywhere else. You know, we tend to think about this verse, no one comes to the Father but by me. And we think, okay, that's, that's primarily, you've got to be a Christian, you know, or you're going to hell. But think about it in these terms for this precise question. All of us have seen in core this groping after the truth, groping after the light in the dark. How do we get there? The way. So the way is precisely in Jesus. Now, if we get a glimpse of the world from the perspective of the beatific vision, only from this perspective can we see the truth, how things really are in light of the gospel. When and only when we have the truth, we can begin to be good. When we are good, albeit imperfectly, many of the lost and broken can be attracted to the kingdom of God and join us in seeing things from God's beautiful perspective. Then people will see the truth and hence the goodness will flood the ugliness in this world with beauty and on and on in the mission of God in the kingdom. But it all focuses on verse six of your chapter. I am I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. I think these things correspond to our transcendentals. I relate the way to beauty and truth to truth and life to goodness. Look at the way. Beauty is the way in which we behold Jesus, even the Jesus with blood, sweat, and splinter on the crucifix. This hados, the Greek, a road or a journey. So it is already and not yet a vision of beauty. We can't always see it. It's incremental. As Paul says, we see in a, da- a, a glass darkly, and then we will see face to face. So it's not all there. But on this journey, in this journey, 
We're on the road to the kingdom of God, and it is a glimpse of this light of the beatific vision. This is why Christian theologians, the best of them, have said, we are followers of the theologia viatorum, the theologian of the wayfaring strangers, the pilgrims, and yet we press on towards the light. Is beauty then in the eye of the beholder? In a sense. But who is the ultimate beholder? God. We might say beauty is seeing things with God's lenses. Maybe this has something to say for art. Have you ever seen Duchamp's little urinal that he signed, the name Mutt, and just put it in a gallery? Is that art? Is that beauty? We tend to say no, but maybe. Depends on how you're looking at it. Are you looking at it from God's perspective? Or maybe a tragic movie that shines a light on the world or maybe more is like a mirror showing us our corruption. Is that beautiful? It is, if it's true. Or what about a dog on his dead owner's grave, mourning and not wanting to leave? That's painful, that's poignant, but maybe it's beautiful. Now why didn't I say the way is about ethics? Because for Christians, the way is not the the way of merit and assent, it comes only through the gospel. It is given top-down to you through the revelation of God's salvation in Christ. This is the clear context of John 14, where Thomas confesses in verse 5, hey, I, I don't know what this way is. Me and my pals have no clue, but these kids have been growing up in the light of the Decalogue, right? They've, they've, they know what goodness is, right? But they don't know the way, see? That's why it's not about ethics, I don't believe. Now, the way, this this term, the way, could be used to describe ethics if it was coupled with, um, let's say, in the phrase, hod dikaiosunes, that is the way of righteousness. It's certainly there. But I think what we're seeing here in terms of the way has more to do with what we all called worldviews or a spiritual perspective or a theological perspective, like the logos of the uh, Stoics or the Tao of Chinese philosophy or Dharma in India or even, in some senses, Torah for the Hebrews. All of this leads to truth. Beauty lets us see the thing as it really is. Truth is relatively straightforward, the Greek aletheia, but I think it's interesting that even the philosophers have, have in some cases, picked up on this. Charles Sanders Peirce writes, quote, logic follows ethics and both follow aesthetics. That's basically saying if you want to recover truth and um, you, want to under, uh, you want to understand how to be good, you've got to start with beauty. Not quite sure yet what he means there, but I think Luther understood it even better. Martin Luther says in the Heidelberg Disputation, Theses 19 to 21, something very important for this subject. Thesis 19. That person does not deserve to be called a theologian who looks upon the invisible things of God as though they were clearly perceptible in those things which have actually happened. In other words... You can't go straight there, right? You cannot accomplish what Socrates realized had not been accomplished. Thesis 20. He deserves to be called a theologian, however, who comprehends the visible and manifest things of God seen through, seen through suffering in the cross. A theology of glory calls evil good and good evil. A theology of the cross calls a thing what it actually is. Calling the thing what it actually is is precisely the way to start to be good. This works in marriages. 
If you're having a rough relationship, sometimes it's because you haven't really looked at yourself and figured out, what am I really up to here? Or when your spouse is giving you, you know, some kind of friction, what are they really saying? What's the truth of what's going on here? Or if you want to get better in Alcoholics Anonymous, you've got to recognize that you have a problem. If you don't recognize the truth, you cannot get better. And yet in Romans 1, we learn that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. But we want life, zoe in the Greek. How does life relate to goodness? You would have to go back a few verses to John 13, 35, which records Jesus as saying, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This isn't to say that they're super righteous people, super uh, perfect people, but if our neighbors don't see any real love in us, maybe we didn't get the point. Maybe we didn't see the truth. Maybe we didn't see things from the perspective of God's beauty. I used to not like the phrase or the, the quote from this cabbie in the last battle, C.S. Lewis's last battle. After the cabbie sees all of God's plan unfolding, going further up and further in, he says, I'd have been a better man all my life if I'd known things were like this. Does this mean he was saying, oh, if I knew this was the last judgment coming, I would have, out of fear of punishment and hope of reward, been a better person to earn my salvation? No, he's just saying what he thinks is true. If I saw things as God sees them, I couldn't help but to love those who are lost. To conclude, think about what's coming up. Good Friday. Are you ready for Good Friday? But what is this? This day on which Christ is crucified. Why do we call that horrific moment Good Friday when Jesus seems to be abandoned by his disciples and the Father? Because it is, it is the locus of the good, the true, and the beautiful. Isn't it ugly and painful? Yeah. And yet from God's angle, we call it good. God reconciling the world to himself in Christ is the truth that unlocks all of the truths. It is incredibly poignant and ultimately beautiful. It is good because it sets us free from sin, death, and the devil. And it makes us free to love our neighbors, not because we have to, but because those who have truly tasted the uncut gospel can't keep their mouths shut about the good news, and they can't see their neighbors and even their enemies in the same light. It has an effect. And they can't help embracing the world. Love marks us out. But how do we get this? Because through word and sacrament every Sunday, we marinate in God's love and truth and beauty each week. And try as we Christians might, the holy marinade of Christ's blood is stronger than our blandness and our fetidness. So behold God's beauty in Christ. Let the light of Christ's beauty enlighten your view of the true state of things and live truly as beacons of love. When you fail, don't neglect to return to the fountain of God's beauty at the church, the place where God is served to you free of charge. God's peace.